Welcome to the teachings of the Renew Community. We are a family of Jesus followers seeking to be formed into the image of Christ and to join God in the renewal of all things. We meet together weekly in large gatherings and in house churches throughout Bucks and Montgomery counties. If you'd like more information on the Renew Community, feel free to check us out at www.renewcommunity.org. Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you all. We are in the first week of Advent, as we've already heard the readings this morning, and entering into this really significant time for the church. And Advent uh, is a season in the church where we we remember, we rehearse the story of God. And we renew our expectation of the coming of the Lord. Advent is the coming of Jesus. And so we celebrate the coming of the Christ child. But we also look forward to Christ coming again. And so Advent has a very past orientation, but it also has a very future orientation And all of that is meant to ask us the question, how do we live in the present, actively waiting for what God is going to do? So again, we remember the story. We remember what God has done by sending his son into the world. We rehearse that story, but we also renew our expectation of the coming of the Lord again. And so we begin with hope. We begin in hope. And hope is not merely wishful thinking or desiring. I recognize I use that word hope a lot. I hope to see you again soon. Or I hope you feel better. And there's there's an element of of truth and, and goodness in that. Uh, But oftentimes I feel like I say that just kind of wishful thinking, like that's what I want to happen. And it it does get used in that way in the New Testament. Paul writes, I hope to see you soon, or I hope to send Timothy to you soon. Um, And so there's there's an element that hope has a a circumstantial element to it. as, as circumstantial hopes, things that we we hope for, that we want, that we desire based on our current circumstances. But we, when we really look at hope and the New Testament picture of hope, the Old Testament picture, the biblical view of hope, it's this ultimate, ultimate hope of what God is doing actively and expectantly waiting for something that is assured. Hope in the biblical sense is not merely wishful thinking, but it is an active waiting for something that is assured. And it's rooted in the past. It's rooted in God's faithfulness. Over the fall, we've been looking at Exodus 34, 6. Lord, Lord, compassionate and gracious God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And all of our hope is rooted in this character of God. And particularly that last one, we actually didn't really explore that one too much in our teaching series, faithfulness or truth as it's sometimes translated, this trustworthiness of God, that God is faithful. And in the biblical sense, faith is not blind. 
God doesn't ask us <laughs> to blindly put our faith in him. He actually invites us to look at what he has done. He proves himself faithful. And so, yes, there's an element of trusting God for a bit of an unknown for the future. And sometimes faith is risky and doesn't look like it makes sense, so it may feel like it's blind. But it is rooted in God's character that God has shown himself. So as God is inviting Israel, he says, look at what I've done. Look how I've delivered you out of Egypt. Look at the promises that I've made to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, and how I have been faithful in keeping my covenant with him. And so, so hope is rooted in God's character, and it's rooted in the past, how God has shown himself to be faithful how God has shown himself to be good, to be compassionate, gracious, abounding in love. And hope is also rooted in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was given by Christ. When he ascended into heaven, that this has ushered in the new kingdom. The Holy Spirit is the down payment, the first fruit of the future that is assured to us. So this summer we were looking at the Holy Spirit, life in the Holy Spirit. And so hope is rooted in both what we've looked at this fall and what we looked at this summer. And hope is the assurance of a promised future. We are a people of the end. We know God's future, and we are called to live that now. We have the hope of glory, ultimate communion with God, shalom, when God makes all things new, when God makes all things right. And so we actively live that hope, that future now, through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, God with us which is the story we celebrate at Christmas, God with us. And these Advent stories, these Christmas stories are remarkably divine stories, but they are also human stories. And so I want to read Luke 1, and I'm going to read all of it, and it's, gonna, it's, it's pretty long, but Luke 1 is beautiful and says things so much better <laughs> than I can. So I want to read this story. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful mess of God and humans partnering together in the redemption story of God. The redemption story of God becoming human, coming to earth to be our Messiah, that we might fully commune with God as his true image bearers. And so we see the humanness in Elizabeth and Zachariah, Mary, Joseph. It's a beautiful divine story and a beautiful human story. And so this is Luke 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, 
to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. And Theophilus means God-fearer. And so it may be that Luke was writing to an actual person named God-fearer, Theophilus. There's also an element in which he's writing to us, those who are looking for God, who fear God. He wants us to have this story so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiah, and he had a wife from daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing in the right to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your petition has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you, and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And I can see Dennis's eyebrows raising. <laughs> After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. 
Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, 
and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. They were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Here ends the reading of the word of the Lord. So I want to hopefully quickly just take a look at profile of Elizabeth and Zachariah in particular, the humanness of this story, to enter in to see who they were as people. And it, the scripture tells us that they're advanced in years and had no child. So this thing that they had hoped for, that their family line, their lineage would pass on to a child to have a son in particular, to have a child. But having no child led them to this place of shame, possibly regret, possibly despair. This thing that they had hoped for, we don't know. Maybe they had given up hope at this point. But this painful grief and discouragement and shame of the circumstantial hope that they had, a beautiful hope to have a child, 
The scripture also says that they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly. And so despite the pain, the grief, the discouragement, the shame of not seeing that circumstantial hope, they persevered in the ultimate hope, trusting that God was going to accomplish what God promised, trusting that God is faithful, trusting that their righteousness, the way they conducted themselves, the way they followed the Lord and sought the Lord mattered, even if they didn't get everything they wanted. So they remained faithful. They persevered in their ultimate hope. And that faithfulness leads to encounter, an encounter that Zechariah has very similar to the one Isaiah has in the temple. An encounter with an angel who promises something that maybe they had given up on, or maybe they were still holding out on the last threads of hope. The angel says, your petition has been heard. I don't know if Zachariah had forgotten that petition or if he was still praying for that thing. <laughs> but Zachariah is in disbelief because it's unbelievable. And there's an interesting contrast if we look at Zachariah's response and Mary's response to this unbelievable news. Zachariah says, how will I know this is going to happen? He's looking for proof. How can I know this? Mary's response is, how can this be? Which is actually a fairly important question. <laughs> What's she supposed to do? She's supposed to marry Joseph, have sex with him, and that child will be the Messiah? How can this be? I'm, I'm a virgin. What, what's next, Lord? And you clue me in. I think this is important for us as sometimes we hear something from the Lord, something he's promising or something he's calling us to. And maybe there's a question we need to ask. How, Lord, will you show me the way? But Zachariah's question is different. He's looking for proof. And in the goodness of God, though it doesn't seem like goodness, he gives him proof. Since you didn't believe me, here's your proof. You will be unable to speak. And I think this actually comes as a gift. And there's a beautiful line in one of my favorite uh, Advent and Christmas hymns, O Holy Night. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morning, a thrill of hope. And I imagine that that's what Zechariah experienced. He moves from fear of seeing this angel, this glorious angel, to disbelief. What? How can this be? To then receiving the proof as he goes to talk. And there's nothing but silence. How can I know? And in that moment of not being able to speak, a thrill of hope, this is real. This is real. And so his silence is actually a gift, this tangible hope reminder 
that God is doing something. God has seen him, has heard him. And his circumstantial hope is now coming into alignment with the ultimate hope. And so he leaves the temple, but now he has to act on hope. And it's a beautiful thing that he gets to act on this hope. And I imagine that those nights coming home from the temple were some of the best nights of Zechariah and his wife's marriage. They got to act on hope and enjoy sexual intimacy, believing that it would lead to the conception of a child just as God had promised. And then Elizabeth gets to experience this thrill of hope. She knows she's pregnant, and yet I imagine it's a fairly tenuous hope. Geriatric pregnancies are still considered very high risk, despite all of our medical advancements. And so in that time, when getting pregnant and having a birth was already very risky, the elevated risk of her old age, and it says she went into seclusion for five months. And it doesn't tell us why, the scripture doesn't tell us why, but I can imagine. So Elizabeth is persevering in this courage to hope. And it's resting on God's promises, even though this pregnancy may be scary and tenuous. the courage to continue to hope on God and what God has told them. And in this sixth month, she gets a visit from her relative Mary. And again, we have this picture of the thrill of hope, this very visceral feeling that Elizabeth has, this joyful womb leap of this baby who is filled with the spirit in her womb. And Elizabeth feels that, and she knows, and she's filled with the Spirit. How is it that the mother of my Lord has come to visit me? What a bold proclamation of hope and faith. Blessed are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then... Probably about three months later, another thrill of hope in the scary, painful, risky labor and birth of her baby. The thrill of hope being realized. And the thrill of hope for what is still to come. The courage to name him according to the promise given to them, despite the cultural expectations. There's no one named John in your family. Come on, his name's Zachariah. No, he is a child of promise. His name is John. And Zechariah, this thrill of hope, writes on the tablet, his name is John. And the thrill of hope as his tongue is loosed and he's able to speak again and he's filled with the Spirit. And he prophesies, God has visited us and accomplished redemption, salvation, 
freedom, forgiveness, through repentance, turn people back to the Lord. God's light has broken in and is breaking out. Holiness, righteousness, shalom, peace, the thrill of hope. For Zachariah and Elizabeth to see their personal circumstantial hope being woven into God's story into their ultimate hope in God's economy of grace. Their hopes are woven together. God's salvation is breaking in and breaking out through them because of their courage to hope boldly and act faithfully. In the midst of all the humanness, the human mass, God is moving, the Holy Spirit swirling over the waters as new creation is being born. And Advent is here to remind us that we are people of hope because of what God has already done, but also what God is going to do. So we invite the Lord to renew our hope as we are a hopeful people in a world that seems to be becoming increasingly hopeless. We are meant to be hopeful. A people of hope whose present and future has been secured by the Messiah who came and is coming again. He has secured our salvation so we can be encouraged, emboldened, and empowered with the Holy Spirit to actively hope, living out the ways of our King and His kingdom, even while we wait for its ultimate consummation. Some questions for you to reflect on. When have you experienced a thrill of hope? When have you had a hope fulfilled? What are you hoping for now? What circumstantial hopes do you have? What are you hoping for ultimately? And how do you align your life into that ultimate hope, into God's ultimate future? Who are you hoping in and how might you act on this hope? How can we act on the glorious hope that we have? God of all hope. Will you ignite in us that thrill of hope again? For those of us who have become weary, would you ignite that thrill of hope again? And fill us with the courage to faithfully and righteously act on that hope. 
pulling your future through the power of the Holy Spirit into the present. God of all hope, fill us with all joy and peace in believing, in faithing in you so that we can abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.